my fault. So when I uh, googled like the time in uh, Pakistan, it was it said uh, whatever nine hours, but that's it's sorry, it's my fault. That is okay. Actually, in yeah. all honesty, I had completely blanked that we were. Yeah. I had forgotten that we had scheduled today, and a few yeah. hours ago, I was like, oh shit, it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I freaked out and I emailed you, but um, but no, we're all good. We're good to go. Okay. And. Uh, I'm in my studio, so I'm ready. How are you? How's everything? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm all right. Um, just a normal Saturday in the studio at my end. Nice. I was looking at your work, uh, the entropy of identity, and I wanted to figure out: is the purpose of art to basically be as a sort of mirror, or is the purpose of art to shed color and to shed the identity of the artist? What in your opinion, is is kind of the the motive behind art? Um, so I think it could actually be both or either or none. I don't think that there's an agenda related to any kind of art making. It depends entirely on the artist in question. Um, so if if the point is to um, uh, sorry, by the way, can you hear me and see me properly? Because your right. screen is somewhat frozen. So I'm wondering if there's a problem with the connection. Oh, I can, I can totally hear and see you. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so that piece that I made, the entropy of identity, the one that you're talking about, that yeah. was about five, six, uh, no, that was many years ago. That was, I think in 2015, I had painted mm -hmm. that. Uh, and at the time, I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I'm, uh, the development, the evolution of my artwork had not really come as far as, as it has right now. So back then I was exploring more or less concepts related to textures, skin, um, facades, essentially. Um, so I had, I was actually starting to look at um sort of the whole the, the concept of um not just life and death but also the idea of um so uh, the the skull was very much a part of a living living anatomy as much as it is um uh, no longer living anatomy yeah. right so it's sort of that cyclical process is what i was trying to talk about and it was a very specific painting done for a specific show so not a lot of those concepts actually carry through when i'm uh, for example, it's very different from what I'm painting now, and it was very different from other paintings that I made in the same year as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that there was any kind of agenda that was attached to um, to what that particular piece was supposed to be. But just the fact that you're asking that question means that you took it somewhere that was valid to you, which is exactly the point of all my art making processes. It's not yeah. necessarily about where I began. It's more about what it means to you than it does to me, because the artist is one person, but the audience can be thousands, millions, hundreds. So yeah. their perspective is essentially more important, probably, than my own. So when I was looking at it, uh, I mean, just the title alone, the entropy of identity. So identity is such a loaded concept. It's such a struggle. Uh, so you think about the entropy, the negative uh, aspect of change, like the negative aspect of creating change and energy. Uh, it seems like that's kind of, they're directly related. I mean, you have this individual who's covered and has a skull on, you know, their um, their left thigh. I mean, they they are definitely struggling with figuring out what their place is in the world. Yeah. I mean, would you would you agree or no? 
I would definitely agree. Um, I think the whole point of identity in my work is to take away the face, to take away the identifying um, factor, the identifying object, which is essentially somebody's, um, someone's face to mask that or to hide that. Where does that leave identity? What happens in that situation? And particularly in terms of how I work with uh, anatomy and the body, um, no. because the body is such a source of you know, conflict and um, it's such a problem, particularly where, where I live in Pakistan. Mm, yeah. It's such a bitter, um, it's, uh, there's such, such a bone of contention, the human body, particularly the female body. So mm. if, is it more or less offensive if I remove the face on top of a nude body or is it not? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I was exploring ideas like that and the fact that our identity as women, particularly, no. it is, it's irrelevant who we are and what we do. We will always be identified by our gender and by our mm -hmm. body, by the limitations according to others of that aspect. So that's where the, the trickiness, that's why it is the entropy of identity, essentially, because you've already chalked us up to be one particular thing at the beginning of our existence, and there isn't much room to grow from that, no matter how much mm -hmm. you try. You know, See, so. you, have a, you have a preconceived notion which trivializes what a woman is as opposed to her identity. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, particularly here. You see, my issues, the issues that I address in my artwork are individual to Pakistan and how I've grown up here. Um, mm -hmm. So over here, I mean, it's difficult being a woman anywhere in the world. We're generally, yeah. you're, if you're born a woman, you're pretty much disadvantaged in today's world. But... Um, over here, the imbalance exists on another level altogether, because over here, you're sort of, uh, there's very few places that you have that you can inhabit without a problem. Mm -hmm. If you, if you venture from those preconceived positions that you're given, you're going to get into trouble. So when I started doing what I'm, uh, my practice as an artist I got a lot of pushback, you know, it yeah. was, it was, uh, it, it's been a real struggle and pushback, not just from, um, you know, pushback from family was different because they were mm -hmm. more concerned with safety, but yeah. pushback from society and people who have opinions, because everyone has opinions on what you're yeah. doing, you know, if it's um, with the socio-political, the, the religious element of, of this country, it's so uh, it's dangerous, actually, to be doing um, something that is so far removed from the norm, the convention of what is acceptable for women to do over here. And the whole point of my practice, which honestly, you know, I didn't even realize until much later, but the whole point of my practice was actually trying to reclaim the female body. Because over here, if a male artist, like if you look at the history of art in Pakistan, we have artists like Jamil Naksh and Sadiq Ken, who were brilliant. And when you look at their artworks, their nude paintings were displayed in really big places like the Mahatta Palace and stuff. Yeah. And no female artist, to my knowledge, actually ever did that here. And that was a vacuum in the field that I noticed at a very young age. And not that I was wanting to paint nudes from a young age, but when I eventually started doing it, I realized that there's no other woman who's actually doing this, which is why my nudes get a different kind of attention too, because it's being done by a woman. 
and in some ways it's offensive to people because well, let's, let's talk about that so then the pushback yeah. that you're talking about doesn't that help fuel your art and creativity and, and you, you mentioned that you don't have an agenda necessarily or any artist yeah. doesn't necessarily either uh but yeah. is that you know is something that you're consciously sort of thinking about in terms of other people's resistance towards you um i think that could you repeat that question one more time so basically you mentioned uh this sense that look you're a woman you're dealing with the subject matter it's arousing some sort of you know it's definitely aroused controversy and people maybe you know that don't necessarily understand or understand what you're trying to do may depict that or see that as a depiction that's more controversial right so when you think about that when you think about pushback in general towards what you're doing does that fuel your creativity does that inspire you to kind of rebel even you know um uh, in a certain you know direction in response to that sort of pushback or resistance or in your mind do you kind of see that as an obstacle um you know as you kind of make art I think that for me, it is very much about resistance as well, but it's also as much about purpose. Mm -hmm. Because I, for me, this has become, um, it became my purpose. I don't even, you know, the truth is, I don't remember when it became my purpose. I think it just sort of bled into because I had to start a career and I was under pressure at that time because my family thought that after I got graduated from art school, I might go on to do um, an MBA or something of that sort, something that would be safer and more acceptable over here. So I felt that pressure to just start producing artwork. I don't know along what point it became my purpose. And then I don't remember long at what point it became resistance either because. I think resistance is very much in my nature, just as a person. If you tell me to do something from a very yeah. young age, I always resisted it, you know? Yeah. So all the conventional roles. Yeah. So the conventional roles that were handed out to us as children, because I have two brothers. So, mm -hmm. you know, they were never asked to help out in the kitchen and they were never <laughs> asked to, you know, do yeah. things like that. Whereas I was, and I, I found myself being offended at the idea of helping my mom out in the kitchen as young as the age of maybe eight or nine years old. I would resist it from that time. Where, where do you think that came from? Do you think that was intrinsically embedded in your uh, in your identity or was it I based so. on your environment? I do. I do think that it was somewhere embedded into my identity, which then begs the question, was it always there, like genetically, like from the point yeah. that, I mean, my parents who were also sticklers for convention, yeah. have also turned out to be pretty unconventional people with the three children that they've raised and the kind of um, careers that they're pursuing and the way that our lifestyle currently is. I wonder sometimes whether it's something that I inherited from them or whether it was something that I developed on my own. I, I was um, like, my childhood was a pretty normal kind of a childhood that way. I never had... Um, I never wanted to do anything out of the ordinary and I never wanted to, I did, I was always that kind of kid who wanted to be the center of attention and all yeah. of that. Like I was quite a princess growing up, but never at any point did I, do I remember thinking um, like rationally, you know, mm. these are things I want to do or these are things that I don't want to do. I don't mm. ever remember thinking that. I think that I just on the basis of being told to do something, I would resist it. I was just always that kind of person. So whether it whether I was being asked to do something good or something that could potentially be detrimental later, I resisted it no matter what. And so when it came to actually making my making my career and 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 doing my work, I 
think that that resistance has naturally followed through no matter what, because there came a point where my father was seriously concerned because mm -hmm. my artwork was in detention and it was, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was, uh, how should I say this? It was um, not the normal kind of artwork that you would see come out in a country like this. And he was no. concerned that it might garner the wrong kind of attention because of the kind of um, socio-political climate that we live in. Oh my God, I remember very clearly. It was, <laughs> there was this painting that I was doing in 2010. So I graduated mm. in 2009, 2010, and I no. was done by January 2010. So when I came back to Karachi from Lahore, Mm -hmm. I wanted to, um, I had this show coming up and I wanted to make some paintings for that. So I made this one painting. In my head, it was a perfectly um, innocent work of art, mm -hmm. but I did not realize that from the outside, it looked erotic. I did, that did not even cross my mind. It was two figures. Yeah. There was one figure that was sort of um, intertwining another figure over the top. The name of the piece was called Addiction. And I had mm. made this in 2010. So at that time, because I was so fresh with the idea of painting, anytime I'd paint something, I'd show it to my family. So I remember taking that canvas out, half painted. No idea in my head that it would have any kind of erotic connotations. And I took it to my dad and I said, look, I painted this. And he lost his mind. <laughs> he went nuts. He was like, what is this? You can't display this. And he actually followed up with me on it. Like he, when I took that, ex took, took that painting for an exhibition to Lahore, he actually called me there and he said, please tell me that they haven't displayed that painting. Please tell oh, me that it's no. on private view. Like, I don't agree with this. Like there was a time where he would get really involved in what I was doing to try and, you know, protect me according to him. But So that's more resistance, that right? It was so much more resistance in my case then because I stopped showing my work after that to him or mm. to any member of my family. I would work quietly in my studio and then I'd just take the images and I would go give them to the gallery. Because he negatively because, reinforced that, right? Yeah, that was it. That was the negative reinforcement right there. And the truth is after that, I stopped showing him my work and he that affected him, I think. Mm. Because he has always been, I mean, there's no question that he's been supportive. I would not be yeah. doing this if he had been one of those dads who would have been, you know, a real, yeah. uh, someone who really resisted. Yeah. But the truth is, I think he really did feel that that distance that I had, um, that I insisted on keeping there after that incident, because he would ask, and he would say things like, you don't show me your work anymore. And I'm like, yeah, well, I wonder why. <laughs> after what you did last time, I don't yeah, think exactly. I'm ever you again. And the truth is, for about eight years after that, he didn't actually see any of my work. He just heard about it oh, because wow. then my name started coming up and his colleagues, his friends, their children started coming to him and saying, can we get your daughter's artwork? Can you please do this? Can you please do that? And that's when he started realizing, oh, she's actually going places and nobody's saying anything negative about it, at least not to him or not to his face directly. So I think that kind of helped bring him around because now, when I do anything that I do, whether it has an erotic outlook or not, whether it's a completely innocent new figurative painting, he doesn't say anything about it now. He's completely, mm. um, he's understood what it is. No. And also, I think older I've gotten, you know, it's one of those things where he's like, she's an adult, she can make her own decisions. And I think that that, that has helped a lot because it's not just me, both, both of my younger brothers are also artistically inclined. Mm -hmm. um, 
one of them is an actor who works with very difficult subject matter. Like he, he will never end up doing a normal role. He'll always take on the role of like, you know, a war criminal or a gang oh, rapist nice. or something gotcha. intense so that he can actually contribute to the dialogue. Of, yeah. of how this is relevant to Pakistani culture. So mm-hmm. my brother is very opinionated in his own beliefs that way. And my youngest brother is an accomplished um, writer and academic and teacher as well. So mm-hmm. they're all kind of artistically inclined. And I think that the more we started getting into our practices, the more our family relaxed about it and realized yeah. that, okay, you know, this is something that they're going to take forward and they have to take it forward. And we can't really inject our opinions into it all the time so, so it's been a sort slow of, road <laughs> yeah that's, road. you say yeah. that's true i mean according to you yeah it's been a relatively i mean in terms of getting the approval for the from your family is that something that you did seek out or i wanted your, it yeah you wanted it i really wanted their approval but at the end of the day i realized that i can't be um like i can't do this if suppose I don't have their approval, I can't stop doing this. You know, I, I had to make that, I had to make that decision to, to come to terms with the fact that even if they or anyone else does not support me, I will not stop doing this. So I have to stop being so dependent on people's approval, whether it's my family, whether it's my friends, whether it is even the critics of no. the art here. I mean, I have no. to stop giving so much attention to what other people are saying because at the end of the day my job as an artist it i may not have an agenda that way but my job as an artist is really to be true to myself Mm. whether i wanted if i want to do this then what are the reasons that i'm doing it for and it's truly honestly i'm doing it for myself because this is the stuff that keeps me sane in many ways no it's been a it's been a tricky journey coming to this point because I've had a very unconventional life for a Pakistani girl you know I didn't marry and I chose not to have children and I chose not to start a family and for a lot of people that was a big big um, concern you know there was a point where my family tried to get me to like switch to the other side and you know oh, maybe no. settling down and stuff not forcefully not at all they've but, been very but, wait, but you still you still decided to stay in pakistan i mean you could have gone somewhere else right you know a lot of people ask me this john a lot of people ask me why i chose to stay in pakistan and not leave the country and i actually have like a few years ago my response to that would have been that if i take my practice out of the country The validity and the importance of what I'm trying to do changes because Mm -hmm. taking my practice to a place like, say, let's say I go to Europe or if I come to America, Mm -hmm. what I'm doing kind of loses that potency and the importance and the validity of what it is that I'm doing, considering that I'm resisting normal Pakistani culture by doing this while I'm here, that is relevant. So if I take it out of the country, it may not matter. My response today, however, has evolved because I've realized that a lot of people make the suggestion of leaving the country. But the problem with that is that if anyone who is different, anyone who is diverse or versatile or, or doesn't think according to the conventional norms of Pakistan, if they all start leaving the country because what they're doing is too difficult, the brain drain out of Pakistan is so extreme that Pakistan is left with nothing but, you know, 
I mean, what That's I'm true, doing yeah. is actually is actually very good for the country, and it's reflective of the fact that I was born here, I was raised here, which means I'm a product of this place, which means there is a place for this over here, because yeah. I was born right here, and I was made by our values, which means there is a place for me here. But if I take it out of the country, then what's left here? I'm actually right. doing a major disservice to my country if I pick it up and take it out. I wish that my country would have a larger heart and and more capacity to accept differing viewpoints, to accept mm. diversity, to accept that not everything has to follow the book. Yeah. You know, because we are products of this place. I've never been raised anywhere other than here. So mm. if I am painting material like this, it is because there is something in our culture that requires addressing. But it's also uh, it's also relevant to other artists. I mean, other you know, uh, whatever their medium is. I mean, if they they see you kind of, they see you stay, they see you kind of use your role to you know make sure. change I in a way. I mean, in a significant way. Younger generation yeah. is an yeah. important viewpoint, but to be yeah. honest, it's not been the thing that has. I'm <laughs> I'm a wholly selfish person. <laughs> so yeah. I very much think of my perspective before other people's, which is like, yeah. I mean, and the truth is, I have been a teacher. I have taught children, and I have taught mm. art students all the way from the age of like five till the age of twenty-four. I've taught a yeah. variety of students of different ages. Mm. I do enjoy the process of inspiring them and all of that. But the truth is that more than I'm, I'm happy if my work inspires any of them to be able to just stick it out over here and to be able to do it. But no. the truth is that the, the reason that I never left was, I think, because it is, it's, why should I leave? You know, John, it's, it's just mm. one of those, um, again, it's resistance also. Like, why can't my country be large enough to support somebody like me? Why does anyone who's different have to make a home somewhere else? What does that say about us? Yeah. You know, it, it's not it's it's not good. And I would like yeah. to address by very much. Yes, I am putting myself in a difficult position by being here. But I think that also matters more to me because I feel like I'm having more of an impact. Now, that yeah. does include inspiring the younger generation for sure. But I uh, I don't think that I'm selfless enough to make that my first. <laughs> I don't think that's the first thing that comes to my mind, to be very, very honest. I mean, I think, you. I think you're being hard on yourself when you say you're selfish. I mean, I, I understand you know, where you're coming from, but I think part of it is that, you know, you we started off this conversation by saying, by kind of clarifying that you don't necessarily have an agenda. It's yeah. do it's something that you have to do. And if you didn't do it, then, uh, you know, you would go crazy. I totally understand that. You have to... <laughs> You have to do if you don't do something that you have to do. And a lot of people that are in, uh, you know, other careers, uh, potentially that don't necessarily give their due to whether they have, you know, artistic talent or not. And then they're mm -hmm. like 60 and they, you know, maybe have some regrets or whatever. It is what it is. But I think it's yeah. important to, to be in places that don't necessarily have a ton of supportive, um, you know, atmospheric qualities necessarily, because it is a good stage to make an impact. <laughs> it is definitely, it's also, it's also where you grew up. So that's another thing. I mean, you can't just, exactly. you know, walk and away from I'm, that. I'm familiar with the area. I know yeah. how to get everything done over here. There's a certain level of comfort, by, but it's, you know, at the same time, it's not easy living here and doing this it really isn't there's so many challenges um on a daily mm -hmm. basis i mean i've had resistance from the time that i decided that i'm going to be an artist 
which I think also required a lot of convincing on my part that I can do this and that I have to do this and the pressure on me to make it work because I knew that if I didn't, I would have to go on to do something else. And that something else would probably be a desk job, like a nine to five desk job, uh, which was something that I was very aware from an early age that I did not have the capacity, the bandwidth for at all. I think I knew this at the age of maybe 13. I remember when I was choosing my O-level, A-level subjects at Mm -hmm. school, I remember thinking, I can't. Like, if I get into this math, physics, accounting route, (laughs) it's going to be a headache for me because I don't have the capacity. I was was aware of myself, my, my capability, and I remained true to that, I think. I think that's one difference potentially between, you know, there and where I am. I mean, New York or American general, man, I've lived in Pakistan. We have the same last name. My family's from Sindh and I definitely have family yeah. there. I wanted to yeah. ask you about that, by the way, like um, it's rare that I get to meet another Janejo. So where are you from actually? I, well, I, that's a difficult question. So I, you, you lived in Pakistan for, you know, a great deal of your life. I've moved around like, almost every year from the beginning mm. so one another another thing that we have in common that kind of explains that is that uh your mom is a doctor my mom mm-hmm. is also a doctor so okay. uh we often moved for you know that reason she had a different job so that kind of led to some some of the moves and then also um a lot of other reasons related to like you know family things or whatever but let's talk about your mom so how how supportive was was her influence i mean i know anatomically speaking it was it definitely had um bearing oh, yeah. on your art what about in terms um, of the support that she gave you so i think that i am what i am directly as a result of her being what she is um mm-hmm. she became a doctor because she was told to you know they're yeah. from that generation where their family decided what they were going to do exactly um so she was literally told and the truth is she wanted to be an artist but she didn't have the ability to say that so her Mm. parents decided she was going to be a doctor Mm. I remember my earliest memories of my mother were that she would get done from Dow Medical where she was studying and um where she was practicing her anesthesiology and I remember she would leave the hospital and she would go for stained glass painting classes so we'd pick her up my dad and I would go and pick her up from there she'd come home and then she'd sit down with her needles and she'd start to crochet bottle holders and stuff like that. Yeah. then she went on to making wall hangings for the house from where she oh, went wow. on to making paintings that she wanted to make from where she went on to doing um nowadays it's pottery and clay work mm. she's made a kiln on our roof which is exactly what she's doing right now she's wow. up there firing pots and she was at work today and she had a couple of surgeries in the morning and now she's here making her clay work she has balanced what her career is with what she wanted to do um so well and honestly, I think that her her artistic ability was freed in a sense after her children really delved into the arts as well. Because I think that she realized, and she herself says, which I I'm, I don't know if you're fluent in Urdu, but she herself says, "Artiston ki to khud You know, so th- yeah. that is actually something that she says fairly often. And so she has a major creative side to her. Now, when I started 
working with, in, in fact, before I started working with the human body, um, and I was just learning how to paint, she would have access to, um, you know, the mortuary and places like that. Oh, so wow. I remember once when I was in college, um, there was this, uh, for some reason in during my time there before I became an artist, I mm -hmm. needed a human skull for something. And I thought yeah. that I would do the get a fake skull. Uh, and I looked fake skull, like a plaster skull, and I couldn't find mm -hmm. it anywhere. And I spoke to my mom about it. She went to the mortuary like the next day and she came back with a person's head. <laughs> she literally came home with this human skull. And um, I mean, I had it. I've had this, I've had this guy since 2008. He's on my shelf right now. And he was a, basically a homeless person who would not have been able to afford a burial. So mm -hmm. in situations like that, what they do is they end up just burning the bodies. So she yeah. kind of held on to the skull after it had been cleaned and taxidermied and everything. So she held on to the skull and she brought it home because essentially it wasn't going anywhere. It was just going to be discarded. So she didn't break any rules. She didn't do anything. This was before the time of, uh, you know, graphics and 3D presentation yeah. in, in medicine. So this was the time mm -hmm. when they actually needed cadavers, you know? Right. So she picked that head up and she brought it. This guy had a bullet hole in his head because he had been shot in a shooting oh Wow. And so he actually has a hole in his skull right here. And so she brought it and she just gave it to me. And I was stunned because I had never, ever thought that, you know, this would be so, uh, so gettable. I never, ever thought that this was something that I could actually own or have or keep for my studies. And I've had yeah. this guy since 2008. He was featured in the Entropy of Identity as well. That skull yeah. is actually his head. Oh, wow. And so he's been a fixture of my studio for a long time. Since then, I've collected many other bones. Um, I've collected some animal heads. I've connected, collected about... And by heads, I don't mean their heads. I mean their, <laughs> their bones. <laughs> I mean their yeah. actual uh, anatomy, the bone uh, structure yeah. is what I actually have. And so I have a collection of these bones and stuff now, but all of it has been done for, um, and it was all down to my mother really encouraging me with that act of bringing home this thing, which to other people may be really disturbing, but in our family. No, that's, that's love, right? <laughs> you know? that's so um, she encouraged me in ways that I think that my father could not because her being a woman, I think she also had a different viewpoint of trying to, encouraged me to do things that I felt had been closed off to me just because of my gender. So she was, she nurtured that, you know, yeah. silently, not over the top and not loudly and not in resistance to my father or my family or anything like that. But quietly, she just sort of supported me. And the truth is that when I struggled with work, she is the person that I talked to. Um, no. Not about the, the technical as aspects that she wouldn't know about, but just about, you know, my mental headspace. Yeah. She is the person that I would feel that I can connect with more because she she's um you know she gets it she understands being an artist and a doctor herself. My father has a different approach towards it altogether. For him, he says like after after years and years of being an accomplished painter, his advice his the other day he said to me, which I laughed really really hard. He said you know, your hands are so steady. They're so stable. The way you make those crisp lines and paintings, you should have been a surgeon. And I just started laughing. I was like, thanks, man. There's <laughs> still time, so right? <laughs> Wait, so, so that's how I explain 
to him that it's actually surgery, but it's on canvas. So, yeah. and my mother helps me make those um, those sort of executive decisions sometimes. Like sometimes when I'm working on a drawing and I need to check with a person whether it is composition or proportions or anything, she's the one I go to. So mm. she can actually tell me this looks better or this doesn't work out or whatever. So she's been a major influence in my practice yeah. and it has it has our relationship has um uh, obviously like i think when i started doing stuff like this it changed our relationship quite a bit because then i could see how she would talk to me as an equal you know which is not something that a lot of mothers and daughters can say over here so i'm actually quite proud of how far my small little family has come with ideas like this where they are open enough to support and encourage me to do stuff like this my brother to do what he's doing both of my brothers to do what they're doing essentially which is also an un unconventional way of living over here um so yes it's been that's that's i think all intertwined how did how did she make you feel like an equal in that moment i think when like the way that she would address issues and talk to me in terms of mm -hmm. my um, decision making when it okay. comes to my artwork, she sits, she listens, and then she'll validate what I'm saying. That, you know, mm -hmm. I think this is good, but I think you need to think about this. Parents don't do that over here. It's usually be quiet, you have no idea what you're saying, or just do what I'm telling you. You know, mm -hmm. because I know her. With her, there was none of that, not in my. Um, I mean, maybe, yeah, when I was a kid and you need to hear that from your parents, that's different. But like, particularly when I got older, uh, that dialogue changed quite a bit because she would actually listen to what I'm saying and, you know, take it in and then give me feedback on it, which is something well, that parents here don't usually do. Maybe part of it was that she knew, I mean, she's obviously, you've grown up with her, so she knows your personality. And if she was more authoritarian, then maybe she, you know, anticipated that that would arouse resistance from you, wouldn't you think? And also because she um, herself had so many struggles growing up over here, you know, because mm. um, being a doctor may not have been what she wanted to do, but she had to do it. So she did it. And then when she got married and she had to come and live with my father's family, which is a very conservative family. Yeah. the level of resistance she got from even being a working mom you know yeah. she had to go through all of that fight on her own my dad supported her my father really did take a stand he's my parents are feminists you mm -hmm. know it may sound like it <laughs> given no, no, no. the stories that i'm telling no, you but actually truly they are they're very supportive of of women having an having um you know agency they're very supportive of that so she had my dad's support when it came to she wants to work or she wants to go to her practice here or she wants to change uh, working at this hospital and go to the other yeah. hospital or she wants to uh, follow this pursuit or do this artistic practice or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad was always 100% supportive of her. He doesn't make any decisions without her now because he says himself that she always knows what to do and how to do it and i can't do anything until i take approval from her because she yeah. knows things that i don't <laughs> so yeah. you know i think it's all reflective of the fact that she fought her battles so when her daughter was growing up she didn't want me to have the same kind of you know pushback from yeah. um, my family or my future in-laws or my yeah. future 
you know, people that I would work for or anything like that. So she was very, she's been very supportive uh, of my decisions, I would say. When I make a decision about something that I don't want to talk to my dad about, I talk to my mom about it. <laughs> like she's the That's one that I go good. to when I tell her that, yeah. you know, I got a job offer, which I'm not going to take. Don't tell dad. And she's like, okay, cool. <laughs> so... <laughs> Talk about anatomy. So, um, you know, again, I mean, your your mother was a doctor. She was really supportive. I mean, she's bringing you a uh, gunshot wound skulls. So, I think that uh, definitely is uh, you know important <laughs> yeah. for your development. But yeah, in terms is. of anatomy, I mean, I I definitely took anatomy in uh, college. I was also obviously pressured to uh, you know kind of pursue medicine my whole life, which I think was good or bad. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, in any in any case, I remember taking anatomy and realizing the value of what the human body is and what it represents i mean did you have the same experience with anatomy did um, that kind of fuel your desire to make depictions my my understanding of anatomy okay so is initially when i started doing the the started painting the human body it was to address my fear of the human body because essentially mm-hmm. You know what you're taught in art school is that the pinnacle of artistic achievement is if you can paint and draw the human figure because it is the most difficult thing to actually achieve. And I could never do that. I was one of those artists who would always resort to making like plants and flowers and all the pretty butterflies and all of that stuff because I just could not. um, I wasn't confident enough to approach anatomy. So Mm. when I eventually started doing it because I had to do it because my thesis was up and I had no work that could have gotten me through like I really thought that I was going to fail and then I did this one very experimental piece where I painted the human figure and I thought you know okay this is all right the jury that I had for that piece went so so well that after that I realized oh I really have to start doing more of the human figure and from there I really started painting, and it just I have never stopped since then it became a sort of a rush for me mm. to do that because you know the the kind of adrenaline that you feel when you sit back from a canvas and you look at what you've done and you realize that it's actually it it looks interesting and it looks dynamic and you can't believe that you would be capable of doing something like that initially there was a lot of that um that i was just amazed at my own capability to be able to do something that i never thought that i could do Um, So it started from there and it became much, much deeper from there because it started to become more and more about body image, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and it and it became more about reclaiming female sexuality and all of that happened as a result of my own struggles and the, the way my life progressed from there, you know, the kind of challenges that I had to face not just with my body image, but with the way body image in Pakistan is perceived. Mm-hmm. I mean, mine included, but but the way I notice all women talk about their bodies, the way I notice the male gaze towards the female figure, particularly yeah. over here, the way there is a sense of ownership by men on women's bodies over here. Yeah. Um, it's a it's it's specific, and it just started to get more and more ingrained into my practice. The more the further that I would go, because I realized that no matter what I do. Um, I'm never given 100% autonomy and agency to do what I want with my body. Like, it's just not possible here for me to do that. It's so restrictive. Um, and that became, again, I would resist that. Because for me, it, it was a matter of 
how how is it possible that one gender has all the advantages and one gender absolutely does not like it's just not fair to me at all and um from there it became you know a lot of uh, things changed in pakistan over the years as well from there like i don't know if you know about the orat march but the orat march started a few years ago and their slogan became became mera jism meri marzi which basically means my body my choice right. but over here that slogan started hell in pakistan right. because just the idea that women would stand up and say mera jism meri marzi offended not just men but women as well you know why um and it, yeah simply because they took it as what do you mean you can do anything with your body what the hell is that mm. like that that wouldn't fly with them for us what it meant was it's our body it's our choice yeah. you cannot just force us to marry and have children and be vessels for your um evolution you know that's not what we signed up for so that was what we meant when when people around us started saying mera jism meri marzi but for all other men and for all the um religious parties involved over here political parties involved the older generation which i mean my grandmother's generation for that matter for them it was a deeply deeply offensive slogan and from there it became the from there very interesting dialogue has started about what does this mean my body my choice what does that actually mean over here um and i feel like i mean i never started that movement i am i respected and i supported 100% yeah. i never started it but i do think that my work is very much a part of that mm-hmm. you know oh, because it yeah. it is, there's there's very few female artists here who actually work with a figurative nude mm-hmm. um for whatever reason but the few of us that that do it is it's so important um that our voices be present amongst the sea of masculine voices that have treated the female figure with the male gaze and reclaiming yeah. that us is so important um the other day i was sitting at a dinner and this one man asked me how does that make your artwork different from pornography and i had a like <laughs> i had a small aneurysm just hearing that statement <laughs> because yeah. i realized anything where women takes over her own agency for men in our culture equates to nothing other than sexual autonomy and that is so demeaning as if yeah. we have no other purpose for our bodies that itself is a very male concept you know yeah, wh- or what what do you think so much about what other people are uh, doing or what uh, yeah, why everyone is this is the culture that permeates this area which is why you understand why now it is so important for my voice to speak from here and not from yeah. outside the country mm-hmm. because if i leave the country then i'm an outsider but if i'm speaking from here that means that i mean they can resist it as much as they want but eventually they have to understand that it's coming from within the system yeah you know well, you can't change the system from the outside that's true no that's that's a good point i think it's i think it's a good decision to stay there i mean it, it i think your impact i mean again like there's not an agenda we've kind of covered that a few times but um the impact is so pronounced because there's a contrast between you know where you are and what you're doing which is interesting mm-hmm. 
Um, so, okay, let, just continuing this anatomy thing, um, this anatomy discussion. So when you think about the portrayal of, uh, let's just say human beings um, and your portrayal, because I've seen uh, Conversation 2, which is, uh, you know, definitely really rich. And that's a very full, I would say, um, a very open and very sort of complete um, orientation of, you know, two human beings sitting across from each other and they're really interested in what the other one has to say, presumably. And they're and, bare. They're completely yeah, bare in front of each and other. And bald. And bald, right? Yeah. And you compare that with, um, let's say, skyscraper with surrounding trees, where uh -huh. you have, you know, a, a definitely a different depiction, but still, the, presumably, uh, I mean, you have three hands, you have a smaller picture of what a human being is. So is one, uh, you know, uh, in, contrasting both of these, I mean, is one more difficult to think about or to theorize when you're thinking about what to do? Um, is one more challenging than the other, or is it? Are they sort of different uh, contextually? Um, I think every painting that I do is challenging. You know, mm. every concept, every idea when I'm working on it is the most difficult thing that I've done till then. So, mm. conversation two happened maybe six years before skyscraper and surrounding trees. Mm -hmm. But both were equally challenging in different ways. You know, one would think that conversation too, because of the size of the canvas and the kind of detail of the anatomy and everything would have been more difficult. I actually think skyscraper and surrounding trees was a little more difficult to do, not just because I did it later, but because I was wondering whether that kind of visual aid diorama thing that I wanted to achieve by doing that kind of piece, I was mm -hmm. really as to whether it would work out or not. I actually almost ended up not displaying it and not adding it to my portfolio because I thought my concept hadn't followed through. But again, the curator of the show was the one, people, audiences, curators, um, viewers can make you understand the your concept and how valid it is and how um, necessary it is to talk about with through their opinions and through their viewpoints as well, right? Like I make something that I didn't think would um, actually be displayed or or be put up at, at this exhibition. And I was actually mm -hmm. gonna take it out, but it was actually others who had convinced me that no, this is a very important piece, you have to put it back in. And from there, it went on to be displayed in several galleries. Um, and a lot of people really like that piece. And it's very different from conversation too, but it was a different challenge altogether. Conversation two was more about the mood and it was more mm. about the atmosphere and the, the heaviness of what those conversations and the honesty and the vulnerability that those conversations require, the bareness of that conversation, the idea that figures exist without a hair, without, without the idea of removing hair stemmed from wanting to desexualize the female body. Because hair and facial features and identity really add a lot of that sexual reference. And I wanted to take that away from it, strip it from that. So I removed the hair and I, you know, tried to mute the face and the expression as much as I could and keep it more about the body and the ambience and the climate of the painting itself. Um, and that was a different kind of challenge because I had never worked with contrasts like that prior to that. And skyscraper and... Um, 
surrounding trees was a totally different challenge many, many, many years later, not just because of the detail and the composition and what I was trying to say with that kind of image, but because I actually doubted myself with that piece. You know, I had a lot of doubt about whether I had followed through or whether the concept was coming through or whether this is something that I want to put my name to or not. And, you know, they all have different challenges. The, the piece that I'm working on right now is, I'm very close to crying. <laughs> I have to admit this piece is driving me nuts right now. And I have to get it ready within a week. And I'm struggling like hell. So, wow. so far, this is the most difficult thing that I've ever painted. And it's it's not even close to being done right now. But this is more difficult than Conversation 2 or Skyscraper. Um, but it's it has a totally different impact. Like, I know that we're going to be recording this as an audio podcast. But, like, since I have you on camera right now, I can give you a very small kind of a view like no. that. No. You can see what I'm, wow. what I'm writing. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I, I realize that I'm not actually giving you the right angle. I'm, I'm giving you a very tapered angle right now. But right now, this is the most difficult thing that I've ever painted. And it has wow. a totally different concept from skyscraper and entropy of identity and conversation to and addiction yeah. and everything. Because this is, um, this image really hits you in the face in a very different mm. way. When it's yeah. done and when you see what the finished image looks like, it has a totally different concept from all of that. But again, it's all linked. It's all about reclaiming ownership of your vessel, your body, yeah. your agency yeah. as a woman, you know, and yeah, again, yeah, yeah. So when you think about that, um, when you start a piece, I mean, do you know what you're going to paint? Do you, sit, do you sit down after you've thought about it or is it something that evolves as you're doing it? So <clears throat> I have my methodology of working. I rely a lot on my, um, on my journals. I mm. journal a lot. Mm. And everything, right? From um, painting ideas to income taxes, everything. <laughs> like yeah. I'll, I'll journal all of it down. So what usually happens is when I have an idea, I am a neurotic person. So mm. I can't experiment too much on my canvas. I experiment all that I have to experiment on my, in my journal. And from there, I take out a final image and only that final image is actually created. So arguably all the artistic um, uh, testing happens mm -hmm. in these books, not on canvas. On canvas, it, it comes down to the final image, the final um, uh, uh, composition that I've come up with. I, once it's in my sketchbook, I photograph it. Once I photograph it, then I draw it. Once I draw it, I transfer it onto the canvas and then I paint it. So it's a very surgical, again, um, uh, process from beginning to end. Um, and it is, I'm, I'm a very neurotic worker that way. Like I can't paint as freely as a lot of people who start yeah. with, you know, a wide variety of colors. And the first thing they'll do is they'll, make all the demarcations and they'll start adding the light and the shadow right, and right, from right. working on the eye they'll move to the hair from the hair they'll move to the background i can't do that for me it's if i'm working on an eye i'm working on that eye once the eye is done i can move on to the nose once the nose is done i can move on to the chin you know so one thing I, at a time i mean in terms of your medium you use oil a lot is that would you say oil. that's your favorite that's your main oh, medium no. right Why? i can't work with 
somebody else now john i think i'm like a real snob when it comes to the traditional um <laughs> elements why do you of, like it so much there's something about oil painting you know it's when i i remember the images that inspired me growing up as a kid and i would look at the artworks the 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 famous artists who made who who whose paintings are the paintings that are put in school textbooks and stuff you know the stuff yeah. that we're taught like growing up when we're talking about things like picasso and we're talking about dali and all the basics um if you look at when i looked at all the images that inspired me it was actually that luster mm. and the luster that oil has is something that cannot be replicated no matter what medium you try a mm. lot of people prefer acrylic to oil because it's a faster drying medium some people mm. would want to work with ink or watercolor which is arguably more challenging than oil watercolor mm. is a very medium there's graphite there's charcoal and i like i enjoy graphite i enjoy charcoal i enjoy um line drawings i enjoy doing all of that but there's something about the texture the luster of oil that cannot be replicated in any other medium and i love when my canvases have that sheen on it which you cannot yeah. get in varnish you cannot get with um fixative sprays you can only get that with oil so mm. i am i'm actually saying this very seriously when i say that for those of us who are traditional painters oil really is the snobbiest medium there is mm. and and also it is expensive oil paint is an extremely expensive medium um but again it's because the quality of the paint the effect of the paint that luster that you see through you can't get that in any other medium so yeah oil is my preferred medium and it is very difficult it's so difficult to save the oil from becoming muddy because oil mm. becomes muddy like this and mm. what i pride myself on is the cleanliness of my images you know you never see a muddy wow. color and you'll never see right. a muddy image all the colors will be fresh as hell yeah. whether it's something as pristine as white or blue or red or yellow the color has to be something that not a lot of artists would be able to produce or mix like when i look at the traditional paintings of that i grew up looking at there were always these very muted pastel colors i don't work right. with those at all i like to mix my colors to be so bright and fresh and vibrant that they can't possibly be real you know they yeah. have to have this very unreal kind of a quality to it that's how i that's i just my preference you can see that in skyscraper too in the surrounding areas i mean it's not it's definitely not white it's uh, you can see the texture uh, you, you can almost yeah, yeah exactly it's over bright it's over exposed it needs to have a air of artificiality to it yeah. because the truth is that what the human body has become now and where our concepts of ownership of body are going now are completely artificial like it it's not realistic at all where we've taken the human figure i think that's a whole other concept a whole other layer to the work as well where um the idea of anatomy and i placing that identity or that ownership over anatomy is an art artificial construct to begin with so well, the, speaking, the yeah go ahead Yeah, no. I'm just saying the the, the painting, the the quality of the oil has to match that artificiality of the concept. So, speaking of artificiality of the concept, so how do you think uh, Salvador Dali or Picasso would feel about their paintings being shown in uh, schools and in those you know published in those textbooks? Do you think that that's something that they would, if they were alive? 
that that's you know uh, commercializing <laughs> they're like very I'm not sure that or... Picasso would have cared because I don't think that Picasso cared about much at all I'm not entirely sure that they would have had opinions on whether the the artworks had been displayed in books. I don't think that you can control something like that. I no. mean, you can, you know, they can feel whatever they would have felt about it. But I mean, um, I was very inspired seeing their names growing up. And it not just, look, Picasso and Dali are just the better known artists. The no. artists that inspired me were artists like Egon Schiel, Rene mm. Marguerite, those were my picks. You know, for me, there's no better surrealist than Rene Marguerite. Dali, mm. for me, again, doesn't even come close to what Marguerite made me feel growing up as a kid. Um, I'm not sure that, again, it's important from an academic standpoint to actually share their work so that you can see, you can, when you study their concepts and how they brought that into a visual medium, it is very important for that to be in the kind of textbooks that young artists would be reading. However, yeah. a lot of artists' work is not actually a part of academic um, training, at least not Most in school. Them, yeah. It was only in art school and specialized art training that we actually got to the meat and potatoes of who the artists were and what do their practices achieve? What contributions they made to visual art and how art has evolved from the days of traditional painting to where new media and modern art has come now. You know, mm -hmm. um, I don't, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure that many of the older artists would have approved of maybe being um, a part of academic learning that way. I'm not yeah. sure. But, I, but I'm grateful for it nonetheless, you know, because it's so important in inspiring us um, growing up again, because otherwise we won't end up doing stuff like this. Yeah. Well, let, we'll start wrapping up uh, in just a second, but a, a couple more questions that I have for you. So um, talk about evolution of man. So when I looked at that, I mean, that is a fairly recent work, right? That is actually probably my favorite painting of all time till today. Why? Yeah, evolution of man. Uh, several wow. reasons. Um, <clears throat> Evolution of Man, I think, was the first time that I felt that I had done something. You know how artists are always racked with self-doubt, like tons yeah. and tons of insecurity and self-doubt? Yeah. I've yeah. always questioned my own imposter syndrome. Evolution of Man was the first time ever that I felt like I had achieved something conceptually that mattered. You mm. know, um, because when I look at artworks that have had impact, when I look at artists like Andy Warhol yeah. and what he did with his Marilyn Monroe prints, you know, yeah. uh, screen prints and the Campbell soup can. And yes. they kind of like that iconic artwork that exists. For me, um, the monkey to man image that we always see on the internet and on t-shirts yeah. and stuff has always sort of been in my head. And I always thought that if I was to address this and turn it into... An, a, something that would be artistically conceptual, something that I could introduce into my practice because evolution of man does talk about where we came from to where we're going, which is exactly what my work does. So the double layering of picking up that image, adding my own take to it and to use it to talk about a concept that I'm deeply interested in and something that's a part of my work, which then is treated with a pop culture rever reverence. 
for me, well, that was the pinnacle of success. It's it's like mind. the it's like the antithesis of the image that you see online about the evolution exactly. of the human race. It's going the other way, in your opinion, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. I feel like from going somewhere, we're constantly in a state. We're oscillating. We regress and then we progress and then we regress and then we progress. And it's like, we have no idea what we're doing because we've made so many mistakes and we're not bothered with addressing them. And yet we want to go further. And for me, it's such a dichotomy of interest that putting all of that into an image really for me became, I felt like I had actually for the first time achieved something that was critically important, artistically important, relevant to the pop culture of our time, relevant to the zeitgeist of our time as well. And it cured a little bit of my imposter, imposter syndrome. So, you know, because I've had that for a very long time where I constantly feel like anyone's going to see through what I'm doing in an instant and they'll realize that I'm not really that good at it. And really? I've always had that fear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been a major part of my life where I've always felt like I'm just faking it. And I'm, I'm making it by the skin of my teeth. I made it. I mean, you know, to be honest, anyone with imposter syndrome will tell you the same, but people viewing you from the outside will tell you that no, like it's you, everything that you've achieved and everything that I've done, I'm sure is valid and it's worth it. And it'll help out people in the future as well. But for me, it's that constant doubt and insecurity. <clears throat> I don't know how many artists actually struggle with imposter syndrome, but it's been a major part of my life. I felt like I did not have any kind of critical approval. It took me ages to get there. I felt like that critical approval only occurred after I painted Evolution of Man. So I don't know how much of it has to do with um, my own validation that I'm good enough or how much of it actually had to do with critical approval that came from outside, you know? Yeah. I mean, the critical approval, though, is that something that that's not really something that you sought out, though, right? I mean, that's just something. Not at all. But I would like it. I can't control it, but I want it. <laughs> you yeah. know? I've always wanted it. I never, I wanted to be a part of the main dialogue, but I was always treated as that artist, at least to my, in my perspective, I was always treated as that artist who was not just an outsider amongst the main artists of, of the country, but also someone who was faking it or someone who wasn't really, um, achieving anything with my artistic practice other than to just paint news she's doing yeah. it because she just wants to show how brave she is or how bold she is you know that was right. the dialogue when i was starting this that i'm doing it for attention or that i'm doing it because uh it's it's a bold thing to do for a woman in pakistan and that's all i care about nobody understood the heart behind it you know which is not dissimilar from the the Orat march the perception oh yeah exactly of that, of that. exactly exactly and then and then add to that the fact that i'm already so doubtful of myself that's where the imposter syndrome comes from because mm. from the get go i was told that i could not um that i mean i was i was good enough to sell paintings but I was not good enough to be one of the big artists of the country like that was the feeling that I had you know and it, it wasn't just that I developed this feeling out of nowhere uh, I was made to feel this in many ways as well by you know the some of the better larger more in control curators over here mm. who would not even give me the um 
um, the respect of looking through my portfolio. Like there were so many portfolios that I dropped off at galleries and nobody went through those USBs mm-hmm. and those CDs at that time that you would drop off. Like no one even bothered to go through it. They wouldn't get back to you. They wouldn't respond to your emails. Uh, that yeah. struggle really tainted that rosy lens that I would view the art world through because I realized, oh, I'm not, just the fact that I'm doing this is not enough. Like I really have to pull through what I feel about this because if I don't do that, then people will never take me seriously. And it took a really long time to get there. And again, evolution of man was the thing that changed my own perception of myself. In what way? Um, Because of the imposter syndrome, I really came out of evolution of man thinking, no, I did it. <laughs> like I, I, I had it in me. I did it. It was good, and it it made sense to me. So the validation has that affected your process at all, or your any intentions that you have, or is that just something that sort of feels good that you would rather have, not have? But it's also something that we, I mean, don't necessarily have control over either, right? Hmm. Um. You know, as much as I want validation externally, it's never actually taken me anywhere or done anything for me. The validation that I have experienced internally when I validate myself, that is what has gotten me through some really difficult and critical points, not just in my personal life, but in my professional life. I have a Mm. whole new respect for my own work, which is something that actually a friend of mine told me many, many years ago. He said, if you won't respect your own artwork, nobody else will. And that respect yeah. has to come from you. And that really affected me. And I think that every time that validation has come from inside me, from within, I have always been better off for it. And the truth is that I will be criticized no matter what I do, simply based on my choices. I will be criticized because there's no way that being a woman here, I can have approval like there's just no way it's going to be possible approval from every faction it's not possible so the only thing that really has to matter to me is my own approval and for the last couple of years this has been the overriding lesson of my life my own approval my own validation I went through some major major personal struggles over the you know Mm -hmm. since COVID began Um, and not just because of COVID but because I had backed myself into a real corner with the choices that I was making professionally Mm -hmm. and personally I was hit with a very intense bout of depression. I was, um, I lost a major part of who I was during those Mm. days. I was not okay. And for a very long time, I was not okay. This was Mm. the time that I was making works like Evolution of Man and that whole series that came out in 2020. Um, And the struggle that I went through then, the transformation of the work shows it. Evolution of man and all the works that I made around that 2020 period show just how painful that transformative experience was for me. Because again, all transformation is painful. It has to be. There's no way transformation is a pleasant process. Transformation is breaking boundaries and breaking barriers that exist in your head. That cannot be a peaceful process. It does take a lot of upheaval to achieve it. And when I went through that and the work that came out as a result of that during that time, you can see my struggle in that work, which is, I mean, I'll name a few I'm sorry, could you say that again? You could see it in your self-portrait. Oh yeah, like I, I saw those changes happen on my canvas. I saw them happen in my 
my own personality at the same time. And the, the paintings that I was making at that time were Evolution of Man, uh, the first balloon girls that I ever made. Yeah. And there were these two paintings based on Marguerite's uh, this is not a pipe painting, which were called, this is not a person, this is not a person too. Um, mm. So there were those. And then there was um, this little series, which was an ode to um, natural selection by Darwin, which mm. was about, again, the evolution of man, because it started with um, the uh, Homo erectus to Neanderthal to Homo yeah. sapien, human, and then to AI and that series of canvases. So when I look at that work and I compare it to all the work that I was doing prior to my depression hitting, the difference is so stark, you know? It's like the color kind of burst out of me and there was yeah. no stopping. And the figure became a secondary consideration because it was more about the, the, um, the position, the, the, what, uh, where this person has been placed and what, what the climate of the painting is, that kind of became more important than the figure itself. And I think that that was so beneficial for me to express the thoughts that I was dealing with at that time because they were not nice thoughts at all. And yeah, it was cathartic. It was incredibly painful, but yes, it was cathartic as well to a certain extent because my critical achievement began then I think the 10 years prior to that that I had been painting I don't think that I had experienced um fulfillment or success the way I did in that year mm -hmm. maybe it's only in my head you know John a lot of what I'm saying right now is based on how I have viewed everything right if you yeah. talk to a critic about what they feel about my work it would probably be very different you know, they'd say, okay, so she started off here and we've seen how she's evolved over the years. And, you know, did this well, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in, you know, talking to a critic. I'm interested in talking to but you. That's, exactly. So, the, so for me and for my perception, that imposter syndrome had to be shaken off in one of the most violent ways possible, which was through depression hmm. and through going through this major transformative artistic experience where I had to put I mean, there were times I was worried I wouldn't come out of it. You know, um, I was dabbling with very, very dark thoughts. Yeah. And I thought that I would come out of it. And the fact that I came out of it, and I came out of it with such successful work, which 20 days after my depression hit, I had a solo in Lahore. And it turned, it mm. was the, the one where I displayed Evolution of Man and Balloon Girls and all of that. Mm. And it critically performed so well. I mean, Commercially, I've always been blessed. I'm lucky commercially because I've never had leftover work from any show. But this time, mm. critically, the response that I got from my peers, my professors, my seniors, the people who understand art, the people who have trained me, the people who know where I come from, who have never said a kind word to me maybe before, the reaction that I saw on them when they saw work like this, I could tell that I had defied their expectations. And for me, that was an achievement. So you know, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I was just saying I'm not sure how anyone else would have seen it, but that was my experience. You, you basically <laughs> were able to live through your art, which is I think, what every um, artist aspires to I do. So, I would go so far as to say my art saved me. 
my practice has saved me from many, many, many bad things. I think my practice saved me from uh, what I <laughs> saved me from. Thoughts. And not just the dark thoughts, but if if I go if I go back in time, I think my practice saved me from um, what I could have faced as a result of choosing not to live a conventional life in Pakistan as well. You know, oh. uh, the fact that I chose not to marry, the fact that I chose not to have children, my practice saved me from going down very very dark avenues there because it's difficult being the only person in a in a whole group of people who are looking in one direction for one person to be going in the opposite direction against the grain mm. of society is so overwhelmingly difficult and you're constantly mm. wrapped by self doubt as to whether you're doing the right thing or not so there were so many times that i was doubtful you know maybe i should marry maybe i should settle down maybe i should let my mom choose somebody for me which is normally what people do over here but mm-hmm. i stuck to my guns because every time i would sit down in front of a canvas i realized this is this is true marriage yeah. what i'm doing here on canvas this is my actual this is the truest relationship i've had with anybody because it has never failed me it has never been dishonest with me it can never leave me it can never go anywhere it will always be here as long as i am there for it you know so that was the marriage that instead of looking for that in a person i found it here yeah so, i know exactly how that feels and it's you know, that, you know exactly so so when i come down to 2020 and my depression hitting again this relationship saved me because i would get into studio and i would be in a utter state of defeat and i knew i had to work and in those days i think my work kept me alive on those days really honestly yeah. Yeah. So then looking ahead, I mean, we talked about evolution of man, but what is uh from that moment where you experienced that, you know, critical attention which you were not expecting uh in Lahore, um from that moment now and then also looking ahead, I mean, how do you uh, how would you characterize sort of like evolution of man part 2, the Cherizad edition? I mean, how how does that look uh going forward? I mean, I guess we can't predict things um you know in the in the future but how do you how would you like it to look at least or how would you like it to go I think um I definitely think that evolution of man is not over by any means for me in my practice I think I'm going to probably end up doing many other odes to darwin in the future um so currently I think it would probably end up going in a much darker direction than where it began like it it Uh, the the first the initial evolution of man is actually a very approachable image it doesn't have any any dark quality that puts a viewer off it doesn't delve too much into depth it is something that you can look at and you can either absorb or dismiss based on your understanding of what the image is about right it doesn't require you to feel too many emotions which is what which is why it succeeds for what it is um i think I'm not touching evolution of man this year it is not on my agenda 100% mm-hmm. because this year I'm moving in a direction uh which is actually probably after this painting a lot more non-figurative than anything that I've done before mm-hmm. um okay. so I'm moving in that direction because there's some very specific shows that I've received uh commissions for which I need to get done um and those shows all have a curated concept so you really have to work according to what the vision of the curator or what the vision of the gallery would be at that time 
I would save evolution of man part two, part three, part four, or how many others that may follow. I would probably hold on to making them until I have another solo exhibition. And mm. I say that because I want complete creative control before I go back to evolution of man. Evolution of man has a much darker side to it that I would like to explore as well. It is, um, if you look at the direction that I took after I did Evolution of Man, where I actually started to, um, there's a bunch of bodies that I painted and then I sort of uh, almost, the surfaces that they were made on, I painted them as if they, it was ripped paper or yeah. um, I had taken portions of the body away from it. You know, like if you look at, if you look at something like this, where you can actually see, mm the rip halfway through, right? Wow. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. these are some, it's, the work became a lot darker after Evolution of Man, but I would say that my next iteration would probably be a version of how those bodies are disassembling mm -hmm. in future. Wow. You know, because currently I'm, my headspace is able to handle something darker in the days when I'm actually struggling, when my depression relapses or anything like that, I try to stay away from stuff that's too heavy. Because mm -hmm. if, I, if I get too much into it, it actually becomes detrimental for my mental health. So yeah. because I'm stable now, I am able to explore much darker ideas, which is why I have come to this piece currently. This is not, I mean, no. I know you can't see this properly at the moment, but it is actually a very dark piece. This is not a happy piece in any yeah. way. So again, we're wow. talking about the blatant objectification and these are actually trophies because there's a lot of places that I've been to in Pakistan where I have seen trophies and trophies and trophies of animal heads and, you know, it's sort of, it's a symbol of uh, pride, ownership, wealth, right. value, stuff like that over here, like um, owning dead animals and stuff like that, which I find very disturbing. I mean, I want to talk, I've got a ton of dead animal heads in my studio right now, yeah, but uh, but I don't do it for the, I don't do it with the idea of owning it. You know, for me, it's to study it, but I've seen how people do that. And for me, it is akin to how women are trophies. Yeah. So this is actually me delving into the idea of the trophy a woman being treated as a trophy. So because I'm able to uh, withstand darker ideas at the moment, I'm able to carry them, I'm able to express them properly. I'm delving a little more into the darker side. If evolution of man was to follow, it would probably be a much darker iteration now because I've done, I've done the happy version <laughs> that I did before, you know? So I'm, that's okay. And I can come back to the lighter side when I want to, but currently, I'm dealing with some pretty heavy ideas at the moment. Yeah, Listen, this yeah, was major it's... fun for me as well. Thank you so much. I'm, I had a few questions for you because you yeah, were so well first. That's when, you, when you sent me the email, I was, firstly, I was surprised because you had such in-depth knowledge of my practice mm. and what I do, just the fact that you knew that my mother and her practice and my skulls and all of that, like, where did you, where did you find me? <laughs> I, I, I uh, I can't reveal. I mean, well, I guess uh, through your, you have a lot of, uh, you know, your your public uh, personality. You have a lot of. Uh, yeah, um, I was of, assuming uh, you probably so. found me on the internet somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, again, we have we have the same uh, last name, so I was curious. I never meet anyone. Yeah, that my, was the second name, question so. because I really felt like this very. It was a very homely feeling when I opened my internet, my uh, inbox, to see that uh, you had emailed me, and I actually went and I asked my mother. I said, "Do we know this person? Because <laughs> like they know you and they know me, and have I missed yeah. something?" And she just was laughing, and she said, "No, actually, I don't know who this is at all." Well, it's it's <laughs> funny. I mean, my dad, uh, you know, went to Dow medical and uh right. my mom okay. went to lmc i don't know if you're familiar with that uh Liakot medical college yeah, when it's... i meet my parents at dinner i'm i'm gonna run this by them it's possible because they know all the genetics so i was just wondering and yeah. um, i'm just thoroughly impressed with your research and everything you've done i managed to listen to two or three of the podcasts that you had put up yeah. on the website that you sent me as well and i just yeah. left them off while i was working and i found them very relatable which is why i said yes to doing this because I think that you're very good at making people feel comfortable, mm. and also you have a way of engaging um, in conversation, like the ideas, the relevancy of the ideas, particularly to the artists, like to me myself. I think yeah. that's what really drew me in. So thank you so much for figuring this no, out and for course. letting me be a part. Uh, of course, I mean my field is um, you know psychiatrist. So I'm interested in kind of delving into the the brain and and understanding uh what compels you know people to make art and i'm also interested i you know i write a lot so i kind of get the process of um being neurotic about your work about some of the self-doubt things i have that in my own dna some of the depression and and uh some of the points that i found you know relatable to your side as well so i again i, I enjoyed uh i really enjoyed doing this and i, I hope it helped well, I think the moral of this is that if you're um, an artist and if you're in a difficult sort of headspace, then uh, let your art save you because it can. And that's a powerful thing. I mean, I wish more people would allow their artistic practices to save them because a lot of people resist that too. But I gave into it so fully and so completely because, again, like I said, it's the truest relationship I've had in my life. The only difference between me and other people is that I realize that. And yeah. so I give it that that due credit that I allow it to function as a full person instead of just a vague abstract idea. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't have the luxury to do that in so many ways. For me, it's been a luxury because I've had the support of family. Like I have the studio that I can come and sit in every day, which makes a huge difference. A lot of people don't have that, right? That freedom yeah. to do it. Um, so I think that that it uh, again, I'm I'm a lucky one. You know, yeah. I'm not average kind of artist their struggles would be very different self-doubt i think exists in everyone but how yeah. much can you how, how much do you rely on external factors to save you or to um or to support you or to validate you versus how much of that comes from engenders that you have to get it from within you know that you have to produce yeah. yourself so that you can actually get yourself through so I, I became one of those people who relies solely on herself, which is why yeah. I was um, okay in that process. But a lot of people don't make it like that, you know? I totally agree. And I feel the same way, I think, because I, uh, I mean, I, we, I have to mention my mom, if I mention my dad. So my mom is, uh, she, you know, raised me. And, um, and I mean, I, uh, when I moved, it was always because of her, because I wanted to be with her, but she gave me something and being an only child, I was also really fortunate to have this, that there was um, the sense that 
I could kind of do anything that I wanted to do. And it sounds kind of cliche, but a lot of people don't have that. And I think maybe if I had, uh, you know, siblings, let's say that became doctors or whatever, uh, you know, kind of going more in the traditional path that, um, you know, maybe I wouldn't be so compelled to, I guess, create mm -hmm. and, and even do stuff like this. Um, so I, I, I'm really thankful for her that she gave me that. And I think that you, yeah. know, you have the same, a similar story too. So but I really, I really enjoyed speaking with you and it was, it was a lot of fun. And I hope, um, you know, your current uh, projects uh, don't, you know, drive you to uh, the brink of another source of evolution <laughs> of man. Uh, I'm sure uh, I think it'll be a rebirth and uh, you know a new chapter going forward and uh, yeah I think uh, I think we're just I too think so ourselves. too I think I'm we're not done you know I think there's so much more that we have to do ahead like I'm in no way am I done I have a, no. in another 10 years if we sit down to talk about work again God knows what direction it will have gone in by then you know like this is just a reflection of what has happened over the last 12 years since I've been working yeah. but I have, I'm by no means have I, am I sick of this? There's a lot more to do ahead. And I'm hoping that we can like maybe touch base in a couple of years yeah. and see things have developed so that we can see what is it actually to be a part of this practice, part of this culture and how that affects us and how it affects our ability to grow, you know? Yeah. Maybe in person. Let me know if you're in New York and I'll let you know if I uh, come back to Pakistan. Hey man, if I'm ever in New York, I will definitely be getting in touch. If I ever yeah, come definitely. to that side. And if you ever end up coming to Pakistan, you let me know. If I come back after uh, 19 years of not having been there, <laughs> I'll let you know. Maybe, maybe now after the pandemic. You have missed nothing. You have literally I, missed nothing. The big, the big thing for me is the family. You know, I still have some family there, so that's the only sort of thing. And also the food. I mean, you don't understand. Like the food is not. Yeah. It's not the same. Oh my God! You won't get I like kebabs. Like See kebabs. Yes, I can only have them there, you know. So uh, yep. I'll come if I crave them enough. I think next year will be my 20 year absence from my home country. So maybe I should. Listen, buddy, that. come on uh, back. I think you just yeah. need to come on back and we will take you for seek kebabs, chicken tikka, yeah. and biryani. And, and you can't kofa. get that there. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, I really for enjoyed sure. it, uh, you know, speaking with you. And uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was Same here. Thank you so much for everything, man. Um, it's been a real okay. pleasure. And I've enjoyed yeah. myself. And I'm going to get back to work. Let me know when the podcast goes up so that I can share it and maybe get it more traction here at my end as well. Yeah, um, definitely. So that would be great. And stay in touch, man. It's been so cool speaking with you. Yeah, me too. Bye. Bye see you.